Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Hey friends, um, we had some technical difficulties uh, this morning with our podcast and so the first little bit of it has been cut out. So I'm just going to drop in and add in uh, some of the parts that are missing. Um, it was obviously, you know, one of the most incredible opening paragraphs of my life and so it's forever lost to history, um, but we'll see what we can do here. So um, I'm talking about kind of the framing of the year. And that at the start of the new year in January is often a time where we ask kind of big spiritual questions. Um, a lot of questions around who am I and who am I becoming and who do I want to become? Where am I going in life? What's the purpose of all this? And I sort of frame this morning that one of the kind of overlooked spiritual questions of life is not who am I or where am I, but when am I? Where am I located in the story? Um, and I'm about to tell a story. I think I just drop in at the end of uh, a story around me being a scripture teacher and how I used to start off my classes as a scripture teacher. But I'll read for you Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 and then we'll drop into the recording from this morning. It says this, uh, reading from the NLT, verse 1. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And time is an interesting thing, but it is a theological thing. And how we think about time really matters. So, all right, we're going to drop into uh, this morning's recording right about now. Hope you enjoy. 1992, what does that mean? 1,992 years from what? And I would say, I don't know, when we started counting time, or from the start of the world. And inevitably one student would say it's from the time of Jesus. And I think it's really interesting that we do have this like counting of time, this rhythm of counting of time that is actually theological. It's theological. And uh, time, particularly when we come to the way that we spend it, the way we inhabit it, it is theological. It's telling a story, but I find so often, particularly in our culture, is that we have forgotten when we are. We've forgotten where we are on the story. So what happens when we don't know when we are? What happens when we forget where we've come from? What happens when we forget where we're going? What happens when we forget where we are? James K.A. Smith, he's a, um, a Christian philosopher, and he says this, he says, I don't know who I am until I know when I am. I don't know who I am until I know when I am. He goes on, he says, which clock and which calendar you follow really matters. 
because it's by the clock and the calendar that tells you who you are and when you are. We can see in our culture there's a few different ways to tell time, a few different ways that we approach like this weird subject of time, of counting time. The first one is that time is like something to be managed. There's this whole self-help, like productivity, business world idea of like, you, you just got to manage the time you have. We've all got 24 hours. You just got to maximize your productivity in that time. It's the gospel of productivity. It's the gospel of work. The other one is that time is something to be passed. This is the gospel of TikTok and Netflix and Disney Plus and podcasts, that time is just something to pass. We just consume stuff as time passes. The third one is that time is something to seize. This is the gospel of politics. And often we want to seize the past. That's kind of the sin of the conservatives. We want to go back to the way things were. Or we want to seize the future without regard of the past. That's the sin of the progressives. Time something to be managed, something to be passed, or something to be seized. You know, whose clock and calendar I'm following really matters. How you count time really matters. Did you know standardized time, so like Greenwich Mean Time and sort of time zones through the world, didn't exist till 1884, which is only like 140 years ago? And it was at that point that we decided as humanity that midnight was the start of a new day, which I'm sure you've never really thought about this, but like if you were going to pick any time in the day where the day starts, like in the middle of the night would not be the most logical place, right? Like I just think it's so strange that we picked midnight as the start of the day. But whose clock and time you are following really matters. Mark chapter 1, Jesus is kind of bursting onto the scene. This is some of the first words he says in verse 15. He says, the time has come. The time has come. The time. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is some of Jesus' first words. The time has come. And in the Greek, that word time, they have a few different, like, Uh, meanings of the word time. We just have one word, time, but they have a a bunch of stuff like they often do. One of the words for time is chronos time, which we get chronological, like time in an order. But this word is kairos, not chronos, but kairos. And kairos means the appointed time, a time kind of pregnant with possibility, a radical inbreaking of something bigger, a collision of heaven and earth where the spiritual kind of squeezes into the natural. Kronos tells us that every moment can be more than seconds and minutes, more than something to manage or something to pass or something to seize for kind of political power. There is an opportunity in every moment, a gate to Jesus, a gate to the Messiah, a gate to this kind of heavenly kingdom reality that is just at our doorstep. It has happened, it will happen, it is happening, the kingdom of God, this other reality, a new government reigned by peace and beauty and love and justice is right near. You know, we all have these like Kairos moments in our life when we look back on our lives, like the, the, the moments that have greater weight. You know, it might be an engagement or a wedding or a birth or a new job or a graduation. There are moments in our life that hold that kind of 
Kairos significant weight. Maybe it's us coming to Jesus or having a baptism or something like that. But as followers of Jesus, how do we work out when we are? How do we tell time? How do we tell time? It's easy to forget when we are. And the church has tended to live in three times at once. The church is a people that lives in three times at once. We live in the future. We are a future-oriented people. Revelation 21 and 22 tells of the coming kingdom, heaven and earth coming back together, everything being made right. God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no sickness or hurting or pain. The gates are open. Every tribe and tongue is welcome in. There's trees with uh, leaves that are healing for the nations. We are a people of the future. James K.A. Smith says, Christians keep time differently because we belong to a kingdom of the future. Pete Cazero says, we don't work for the future, we work from the future. That is like the reality that Christians live in. We work from the future. We are a people of the future, but we're also a people of the past. You know, the core component of Christianity is not a theological statement. It's not a creed. It's not a doctrine. It's not even the Bible, but it's a historical event. An event that happened in history to a real man, Jesus, of a little town called Nazareth who lived and was crucified and who rose again. That is the core component of Christianity, a moment in time, a moment in the past. We're framed by the past and the future, and we are a people of the present. And only when we know where we've come from and where we're going can we really be present in the moment. The only moment we really have is now. But it's easy to lose track of time, right? You've been scrolling on Instagram and like an hour's gone past just like that. We have a million distractions that distract us from the plot of time. It's easy to lose the plot, the arc, the narrative of when we are. I want to present to you this morning one way that we as people living in on the Central Coast in 2022, 2023, oh my gosh. One way to help us tell the time, to remember when we are. And that one way is the liturgical church calendar. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. The liturgical church calendar sounds very holy, doesn't it? Liturgical, liturgy just means a repeated pattern with meaning. A repeated pattern with meaning. It's a, it's a way within our church calendar to retell and relive the story of Jesus, the key historic moments of Jesus to remind us of where we've come from and to remind us where we're going. It's kind of to reform and rebend our calendar around the life of Jesus. Now, the liturgical church calendar is most common in the Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox and some Protestant traditions like Anglican. Um, You don't often find it in a contemporary church or a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or an evangelical church. but I think there is power to uncover this ancient tradition of keeping time. You've probably noticed over uh, the last little while, if you've been around, that we have been um, uh, integrating this into the life of Greenhouse. We've been doing Advent and the lighting of the candles. We did the candlelight mass on Christmas Eve. We follow the, the cycle of Lent and we did Ash normally Ash Wednesday, but we did it on Ash Sunday where we uh, put ashes on our heads as a form of identifying with the life and death of Jesus. 
And, you know, you might be sitting in this room and have some objections to, like, anything around kind of liturgy or this, like, religious form or this, you know, Catholic sense. And, um, you know, there's a few things I would say to that. Um, to you who are feeling a little bit prickly about, like, identifying with the Catholics, um, one of my core values, I think, in life is to be deeply ecumenical, which is a church word which means we draw from different streams of Christianity. No one stream, no one denomination, no one church has a monopoly on the truth. And we inherit this like age-old, ancient tradition that's been carried by different cultures and different streams and different local bodies and different like makeups of all these different people that wouldn't normally come together. And we inherit that from the Pentecostals, from the Catholics, from Eastern Orthodox, from the Evangelicals. We inherit all these wonderful facets of Christianity. Um, and to those who are like a little bit averse to kind of any sort of structure or rhythm uh, when it comes to praying. We have this like fallacy within our culture that for something to be authentic, it has to be spontaneous. Like for me to mean something, then I have to like feel like doing it in the time. And that's kind of true in one sense, but we don't feel like that when it comes to sleep or when it comes to going to work necessarily or working out or study. All the stuff that we know is actually really good for us that we force ourselves to do because we kind of have to do it. Um, it might not be authentic, but it is forming us and it is shaping us. Um, liturgy can easily turn legalistic, for sure. Structure around structured prayers or different things we do th through the year can easily turn legalistic, but they turn legalistic when we forget why we're doing them. Liturgy turns legalis legalistic when it gets sucked of all its meaning. And anything in life, can turn from an opportunity to shape us and form us to an obligation when we forget why we're doing it. Going to work can turn from an opportunity that I get to like contribute in the world to an obligation, I have to go to work, when we forget why we're doing it. We forget that we lose the purpose of why we're there. Um, singing in church, reading the Bible, praying, giving, going to the gym, going to work, all this stuff can get sucked of meaning, can turn into obligation from opportunity when it gets devoid of meaning. So, what is the liturgical year? Steve's going to throw something up. So, um, the liturgical calendar is shaped around events of Jesus' life. And the first part of the liturgical calendar is Sunday. Sunday is a part of this ongoing rhythm that we commit to as followers of Jesus. Um, the early Jews who, like, Christianity is birthed out of Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. And in many ways, we have just inherited what's going on there. Jews would meet on a Saturday, on the Sabbath. They would go to synagogue on a Saturday. That was kind of their central, like, point of gravity as a people. They would go to the temple and they would worship. And after Jesus rose from the dead, Christians would not only go to church on Saturday, but they would start gathering on Sundays as a reminder of the resurrection. And every time they gathered, they were reminding themselves that they were a people of the resurrection. And so every, every Sunday became like this little Easter, this reminder that we are part of a bigger story, to remind ourselves when we are in the story. This is part of the forming of the church. And then there are seasons of the church calendar. The church Calendar starts with Advent. That's the start of the church calendar, four Sundays before Christmas. And each Sunday represents a different aspect of the Christmas season, hope, joy, peace, 
and love. It is about this expectation and waiting for the coming kingdom, the coming Messiah. And then there's Christmas, obviously, which is about the arrival of Jesus, the incarnation, Jesus in flesh. And then there is Lent. Lent often starts with, in the liturgical, liturgical calendar, Ash Wednesday, which I was talking about before. We would do it on Sundays because we don't meet on Wednesday. But Lent is the 40-day lead up, not including Sundays, to Good Friday, in which we identify with the, um, the, the, the journey to the cross. We identify with the sacrifice of Jesus. It's linked to the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness, time of fasting, except on Sundays. A reminder that suffering leads to maturity. Then there is the Holy Week in the lead up to Easter, which retraces the steps of Jesus. I think this year we may do a Holy Thursday gathering on Thursday night, which is uh, the, the celebration of the Last Supper where Jesus washed his disciples' feet and shared communion for the first time. Then there is Good Friday, the, the most solemn moment in the church calendar, the, the moment that we remind ourselves to follow Jesus is to live no matter how many deaths we face. And often over the last couple of years, we've done a, um, a guided meditation, a podcast that follows the 14 stations, the 14 moments leading up to the cross. Then there's Easter. Easter is the highlight of the Christian calendar, the resurrection of Jesus, the lynch point of human history. On Christmas morning, we find the manger full of life. On Easter, we find the tomb empty of death. And then, are you still with me? After Easter, there's a season called Eastertide. It's not written there. But it's the season between Easter and Pentecost, which is 50 days later. And it's the moment, uh, those moments where Jesus was in his resurrected body, walking, meeting, talking to, eating breakfast with his disciples. It's the moment of like this new reality, working out what this resurrection means for the body of believers. It's, it's, a, it's a moment of... Um, uh, reintegrating what it means in our bodies, in our life, to follow the way of Jesus. And there's Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit 50 days after Easter. It is this moment of miracle and filling and indwelling. And then you'll notice that there is a whole bunch of the year called ordinary time, which reminds us that a lot of the Christian life is just ordinary. It's just Waking up, going to work, brushing your teeth, eating, hanging out with friends. It's the ordinary part of life. Week in, week out. Tish Harrison Warren says, the only life we ever really live is our ordinary life. And that is an important part of our spirituality and our faith. See, the church calendar recalibrates our soul around the way of Jesus. It recalibrates us. It helps us to relive the story of Jesus over and over again. It reminds us that the spiritual highs and lows of life are constant. The moments of waiting like Advent. The moments of arrival like Christmas. The moments of suffering like Lent. The moments of grief and loss like Good Friday. The moments of resurrection and new life like Easter. The moments of recalibration, like Eastertide. The moments of miracles, like Pentecost. And just normal life, the ordinary time. 
So when are we? When am I? The question is still a hard one to answer. We are now. In between what has happened and what's going to happen. In between the resurrection and the resurrection of all things. In between creation and new creation. And when we remind ourselves of where we are in the story, when I am in this unfolding story of the good news of Jesus, deeply impacted by the past, deeply impacted by the future, deeply impacted by the kairos of this moment, that every moment we have is pregnant with possibility of the inbreaking kingdom if we would just have eyes to see. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which just means to turn and believe. We often think that's a, like a, a thinking word, believe, but it's actually a walking out. Turn and walk out the good news. Walk out the gospel. That's what Jesus said. Not the good news of time to be managed or time to be passed or time to be seized, but the good news that the kingdom has come near. Right here. Right now. On a hot morning in a building shaped like a clam. The kingdom of God is near. Every moment, a kairos opportunity. Would you close your eyes? If you're comfortable, just to put your hands out in front of you as a sign of openness. Jesus, I thank you that those words that you spoke 2,000 and something years ago, that the time has come. The kairos has come. The kingdom of God is near. God, I thank you that those words ring true here in Longjetty at 11.26 on a hot Sunday morning in 2023, that the kingdom of God is near. I thank you that you are near, Jesus. I pray that we would be a community and a people that begin to know when we are, that begin to be enveloped and informed by the past and this ancient tradition that we get to hold with all its cracks and all its beauty. May we be deeply impacted by the future. May we be a people of the future that we would be defined by this coming kingdom of your government, your new way of ordering the world. Where there's no sickness or hurting or pain, where there is beauty and justice and love and a welcome for all. May we live in the present as people deeply impacted by both those things, resurrection and the resurrection of all things, creation and new creation. So right now, I just want to give you just a little bit of space. Holy Spirit, would you come? And may we just have this Kairos moment. May we be 
aware of the kingdom being near. We give these seconds and minutes to you and remind ourselves that, part, that, that time is not something to be managed or passed or seized, but there is kairos possibility in every moment. Thank you that you are near. May we live that out in our calendars and in our clocks and the way that we use our time this year.